Pleasure, another episode of the Joker Character Study Series from Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And we're back. Yes, welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. It's another episode of the Joker Character Study Series, the penultimate episode, as we will be giving you a half Joker Character Study Series episode and a half Oscar Sprint Profile and OSP as we go through the Todd Phillips, Joaquin Phoenix movie, Joker. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Wow, was this a movie? Let's say we... <laughs> it was filmed and put on camera, We yes. have a lot to talk about mm-hmm. here. It lives up to the billing of all these quote-unquote controversies, I would say, and we got to get right into it. So, yeah, tell the folks what this is. Yeah, like we say, no time to beat around a joke around today. we got a big episode for you, so we just want to remind you, if you've not joined us for a Joker character study series, if you've not joined us for an Oscar sprint profile, the general layout, while the specifics differ, the general layout is the same. You will have a non-spoiler first half and then a spoiler filled second half there'll be a spoiler warning before the spoiler section so if you've not seen this movie yet do not worry we're not going to spoil it for you in the first half of this review but it will be in the second half all spoilers so let's jump right into it and who made this film of joker this is warner brothers is the studio behind gotham obviously and has been for quite some years now after losing money this summer they rebounded well in the fall with it chapter two and now joker they've cornered the evil clown market yeah joker is co-written produced and directed by todd phillips he is best known from his comedies like Road Trip and Old School, The Hangover Trilogy, where he worked with Bradley Cooper, who's also a producer on this film, Joker. It's got to be nice to be a really, really famous actor. Like, yeah, 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 throw me a producer credit. <laughs> <laughs> he also produced Todd Phillips' uh, Gunrunner movie. I think I called it a Drug Runner movie last episode, but it's the Gunrunner movie with Jonah Hill and Miles Teller. Mm-hmm. So those are the only two uh, projects that Bradley Cooper was not acting in that he had produced, but, and he's done it for his buddy Todd Phillips. In terms of Phillips, he's attached to direct the upcoming Hulk Hogan biopic, Mike, with Chris Hemsworth. How is that going to work? Well, here's the question for me that applies to nobody else. So this is a giant waste of time. (laughs) What? film will have more questions after I see them for me. Joker, Joker or the Hulk Hogan biopic by Todd Phillips. Uh, <laughs> Emma tillinger Koskoff is a producer on Joker as well and this is significant because she's a longtime collaborator with Martin Scorsese and we all know how he feels about comic book movies based on what he just came out with today about the MCU. Mm-hmm. They're not cinematic events apparently. Oh no. Uh, she produced six of Marty's last films including this year's The Irishman. We've talked about the king of comedy as a major influence on this film Joker. Phillips talked about 19 19- 70 Scorsese movies as a basis for the reality of the film, and Robert De Niro isn't the only Scorsese connection in the cast and crew. Yeah, Joker stars Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, Deadpool 2, Zazie Beat, Six Feet Unders, Francis Conroy, The Leftovers, Bill Camp, Boardwalk Empire, Shea Wiggum, Atlanta's Brian Tyree Henry, and with a cameo, a weird one, Glows, Mark Marin, Mike. This cast is good. We're going to talk about them. I got a lot to say about the ensemble today, but uh, big names. What the hell was Mark Maron doing in this movie? I mean, I, he must have had a larger part on the cutting right. Floor, I, right. He deserves certainly more than what he ended up with here. I was shocked at how little he was used. But like you said, we'll get into all of it. From Arrival, Sicario, The Revenant, and fresh offer Emmy win for Chernobyl, Joker's original music was composed by Hilder Guaunaudauter. I'm sure I nailed that. Apologies. <laughs> 
<laughs> Juana Dutier, I believe is how you say it, but I apologize for the mispronunciation. Longtime director of photography for Phillips. Joker's cinematography was done by Lauren Shear. He infamously is the Larry referred to in that Jimmy Kimmel, Joaquin Phoenix interview. Oh, really? Where Kimmel supposedly ambushed Joaquin Phoenix with that clip, but it was apparently sent over by Todd Phillips to Kimmel. Wow. So everyone's thinking it's maybe a marketing ploy now. Oh, there's been a lot of stories about all this negative press being a marketing ploy by WB and Todd Phillips. And if that's true, I think it's the stupidest thing ever. Just it want is, to put that on the it, record. It is not smart. Yeah. If, if anything... Because it already had would... positive word of mouth. It won the golden line. Right. For, it's stupid. Anyway, uh, let's get back into it. <laughs> Mildred Pierce's Emmy-winning production designer, Mark Friedberg, and two-time Oscar-winning costume designer for The Artist and Phantom Thread, Mark Bridges, are some standouts on this crew as well for Joker. Yeah, Joker was filmed in New York City, Newark, and Jersey City from September to December of 2018. It had its world premiere on August 31st at the Venice Film Festival where it won that coveted Golden Lion for Best Film. Critical numbers are okay. They currently stand at 71% in Rotten Tomatoes with a 62 Metascore. The two numbers in steep decline, though, since Venice. And again, we go back to this weird negative word of mouth from yeah. Phillips himself and kind of from Phoenix. Yes. The, weird. Weird stuff going on. We covered on. it on our last yeah. Oscar Race Checkpoint episode. Go back to that. And yeah. It still applies. Those numbers have been in decline since Venice, and from when we last covered it a few days ago as well, it's theatrical release on October 4th is projected to make an estimated 80 to $100 million at the box office on a budget somewhere reportedly between 55 and $64 million. Venom, just last year, set the mark mm -hmm. for the biggest October opening in history with its $80.25 million domestic gross on over 4,000 screens, and in doing so, so Venom had a $10 million plus Thursday preview box office rake. Easy hmm. for me to say. Joker just beat that number by 30% in landing $13 million in its Thursday preview box office. It was originally reported as 10 plus matching Venom. And then once the numbers had more of a concrete shape, they realized it was 13. So it would seem that Joker has that record, biggest October opening ever, yeah. right in its sights. So... Before we get into our review, let's go behind the scenes for a minute. Getting into character. So like Mike said, Todd Phillips and co-writer Scott Silver, they were inspired by 1970s Martin Scorsese movies. we got a longtime Scorsese producer on this. we got De Niro, a longtime Scorsese actor on this. And you could see the Scorsese inspirations aside from just the obvious parody of, you know, yeah. I don't want to call it a parody, but the, the inspiration from King of Comedy. Right. You could see he, Phillips, cared about making this kind of Scorsese-esque. Taxi driver right. implications with all the porn theaters sure. and all the, the, the grossness of pre-Times Square Gotham or, you know, New York City, essentially. It all makes sense. 1988's graphic novel, The Killing Joke, worked as their jumping off point as well. Yeah, and everyone originally assumed this standalone Joker movie would feature Suicide Squad's Jared Leto, but mm -hmm. apparently Todd Phillips proposed to DC that they try a less cinematic universing and more standalone movie. Movies, great in theory, but what the hell does it mean for the DCEU? It would be nice if we had some kind of comment on that from Warner Brothers or DC. I guess it means that they're trying to go another direction. They keep calling this the dark universe, and yet Todd Phillips is also saying that this is a standalone movie. I'm not doing any more. This is it. Oh, it's definitely a standalone movie, especially at the last scene. <sighs> 
that's sarcasm. Me nuts. It drives <laughs> that's me sarcasm nuts. is it, what that was. And of course, and it, look, at DC is going to push for a sequel on this a thousand it's percent. Set up. You, I mean, it's you know, we'll get into it. <laughs> All right, Leonardo DiCaprio was originally rumored for the role, and Scorsese was rumored being pushed by DiCaprio to at least produce this at one point. That was surprising to me because, again, Todd Phillips has always talked about Joaquin Phoenix being the first choice, and this is on record. It's all over the place that Leo, Leo was looking at it. It must be very nice to be an A-level actor in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix was intrigued by the script right off the bat, and after notoriously rejecting several MCU roles, including Doctor Strange, he was in favor of an original take-slash-indie-film-style character study of a supervillain, of a superhero, in this case, the Joker. I saw people online on Twitter, part of Film Twitter uh, yesterday, complaining, how is this considered an artisan movie? AMC artisan those theaters that we talked about how they're just going to so show specialty and limited I release agree. theaters makes no sense. This ended up in the AMC artisan theaters as well, so people were not very happy with that because it kind of goes against the entire idea of what those theaters are supposed to be doing. But they wanted it more indie feeling, so maybe are, that's why. Are they going to make every Oscar movie an artisan film, even though if it's it could be a couple hundred dollar money maker? Yeah, it kind of immediately went from saving smaller and limited run movies to a marketing ploy. <laughs> so I don't know how I feel about it. I do know uh, how I feel about that. It's not good is what I'm saying. But I still love AMC, it. but yeah, right. that's ridiculous. Phoenix reportedly lost 52 pounds to take on the role of the clown prince of crime in this adaptation and read books about political assassinations to try and understand this character, or this version of it anyway. He also based his laugh, very notorious, and if you see the movie, you know exactly what we're talking about, based on videos of people who suffer from pathological laughter, yeah. which just sounds like a horrifying... Horrifying disease. We're going to get into it. It's a, it's a real disease. Yeah. Looper article from Tyler Pasapia. He, he talked about uh, a few production stories, most notably that Phoenix apparently did some of his own stunts, Mike, especially the one where he gets hit by a car. That was actually Joaquin Phoenix in that scene. Yeah, well, he's a crazy person in real Whoa. life, so that's the reason about Joaquin Phoenix. Whoa. God bless him, what a talent, but unhinged is certainly a one way you could describe him at some points. Mm -hmm. Now, there's stories all over the internet right now about Joaquin and Robert De Niro, and they all stem from the Profile piece recently debuted in Vanity Fair, written by Joe Hagen, and it goes like this. There was a clash mm -hmm. between Joaquin and Robert De Niro in the production of this film with regards to preparation. De Niro wanted to do a read-through of the script and demanded Joaquin attend, which apparently is against Joaquin's very nature, as Phoenix likes to react and build to a moment as he comes across the part in the script during shooting. De Niro is the exact opposite. He likes to overly prepare. He likes to have all his notes in order. He likes to run through the script multiple times. Times. So it was a real clashing of ideologies as far as how to get ready for this shoot. And talking about, you know, previous Jokers, too, like this wouldn't have flown with Jared Leto either. I wonder if Heath Ledger did some of this because they did have a lot of rehearsals for The Dark Knight. But apparently Ledger was able to tone his Joker down. Joaquin Phoenix wanted to discover this character as much on set. And mm -hmm. a lot of these making of stories and videos out there right now talk about what... Joaquin, who went in with a certain level of understanding of the character, but then he, he keeps talking about how it just evolved throughout the shoot. So it would make sense to me that Joaquin is middle of the discovery here 
and he doesn't have it down pat and that really irked him that he had to just go and perform for these folks in the read through and it makes what todd phillips did by sending jimmy kimmel that outtake of him losing his stuff on set more bizarre Mm -hmm. if you know that's who you're dealing with and todd phillips plays a big role in this story i'm going to get to it in a second but if you know what this guy is is this type of actor on set of course he's going to be high strung strange decisions why would you explain all around I got words for Todd Phillips coming up. Um, (laughs) Joaquin eventually did relent and show up to a table read, which Vanity Fair went on to report. He apparently mumbled through and was short and somewhat cursed, even attempting to flee the scene after they finished, claiming that doing the read-through had made him feel physically ill. The article goes on to cite that De Niro even offered to speak one-on-one to Phoenix after the read-through in his private office, to which Phoenix initially declined, but was eventually convinced by a combination of director Todd Phillips' intervention and Phoenix his own love for De Niro's body of work, obviously, because if you're an actor, how can you not respect the man? This ultimately led to a smoothing over of the entire incident by both actors who are said to get along well to this day. Yeah, after this movie was done, Joaquin Phoenix called De Niro his favorite American actor. There's a lot of love to be had between mm-hmm. them after it all you know, finished up there. But during the production, apparently it's rationalized by both men now that because their characters didn't like one another, that they really shouldn't talk much on set. So they didn't. And other than a high at the beginning of the shoot, they really didn't uh, interact. That makes sense to me. And again, I have no problem with any of that. I mean, I, I, good Lord, to be an actor, the caliber of those two are, Mm -hmm. you get that way by doing things a specific way throughout your life. Right. So obviously at some point it's going to clash with another actor of that caliber. So I, I think this is a little exploitative to be mentioned at all by any publication because this is just the course of doing business in Hollywood, I would assume. Yeah, I would expect these things happen all the time. So I I feel like it's a little clickbaity. Especially when you have a quote-unquote former movie star who's in a bit part in this Mm -hmm. and is trying to drive the bus and the new movie star is a a completely different process. This, This makes a lot of sense. I just don't understand Todd Phillips once again like you and how he kind of exacerbates there's it a the lot fact. that Todd Phillips has done this week that has raised my eyebrows it's just really really weird yeah the plot premise for Joker reads a gritty character study of Arthur Fleck a man disregarded by society yeah I'll say That's pretty much what this movie is. So can you crystallize your expectations going into this? I was filled with dread. I had gotten to the point where I was super duper excited for this and on the high of the Golden Lion and I can't wait and it's so interesting and so unique and it's unlike anything we've ever seen before from a comic book movie, quote unquote, to what happened this week. And WB's response to the Aurora family and friends, those the, the family of those victims, yeah. and what Todd Phillips was saying about social justice warriors, and how people came out of the woodwork to chastise, and I brought it up a couple times, but to chastise people like Scott Feinberg, who suggested that there's a chance that the wrong person may get the wrong message from this, and people equated that to people saying movies are responsible for all kinds of violence and blah, blah, yeah. blah. It, I just had gotten so sick of all the negativity that I got to a point where walking into the theater yesterday, I was just dreading the experience. I'm with you on some of that. I, I do understand why they're put on the defensive, but I think it's, sure. it's bad PR for them overall. Uh, uh, no we see we're it. we're in lockstep there because our Oscar race checkpoint. We just talked about how like you can use any kind of criticism for good, and that's certainly a, a big studio like WB knows how to do that. 
they wouldn't be in yeah. existence otherwise. And, and I thought they, you know, said a lot of the right things as well about the about gun violence, mm-hmm. about how they've supported it over the years, about how they're, you know, entering in with a lot of corporate corporations right now to try and get the laws changed. I mean, all that is good stuff. But the fact is that they're not going to show guilt over a movie that they haven't released yet, especially when they're trying to be behind the movie. And that makes sense to me. I just, you know, they don't have to show, like, their hand that they did something wrong, but they they probably should be a little more sensitive to the overall climate. Their defensiveness, all Phillips, the studio, it all read to me and all came off of, just see it this way. Just interpret the movie this way and it'll be fine. I mean, people... And that's the antithesis of movie making. There's mass murdering going on you know, every other month, it seems, mm. and for a long time. Mm. I mean, if you're not sensitive to that extreme of climate, of course, then I don't get it. Like, I, I don't get I don't get your reactions. It's just bad. And we're and not it. saying we're not of the mindset. We think the exact opposite. We don't right. think movies are responsible for causing violence. Yeah, it's Correct. not we're not saying that at all. We're not going to get there with this one right. either. Uh, in terms of my expectations, I kind of blanked those expectations because of all this nonsense. I kind of just went into it Clean like. Slate. Clean slate. This could be good. This could be bad. I don't trust the Venice tastemakers over there. Uh, I do trust some people that I read that I really like this movie. Mm -hmm. But they are smart enough to have caveats. They are smart enough to have things that they liked and disliked. And I think they're well-rounded in many many of their critics. Yeah, (laughs) and we can get into the nuances of this. And I I think today's review is going to be a little more mixed, even though it's mostly positive. At the end of the day where we land, I would say... Oh, yeah, I gave it a good grade. I did, too. However, I do think we're going to have to focus on some of the negatives at, at, a, at a, a certain point or two. Let me go into my theater-going experience, though, for a yeah. second, Mike. I saw this on my A-list. I got out of uh, work a little early, earlier than I thought. I'm I, surprised you're not wearing face paint today with what you did with this movie yesterday. So I was going to see an IMAX at 445 and then a Dolby Digital at 7. I ended up get, making the 4 o'clock showing, which was also Dolby Digital. So I saw that in my AMC theater, which was awesome because I got this A-list for $20 a month. And I saw I got like two eight, $17 tickets Nobody back Nobody has back. done more for AMC's marketing than you have the past six months. <laughs> I feel, but I felt bad and I bought a popcorn and soda. So I did do that. Then I got I got a, I was able to go to Panera Bread and get a salad in between. Open up my you laptop. for name dropping these corporations sponsor we're looking for sponsors folks you never know it was a beautiful salad i was so tempted to go to arby's though and to get another one in i wanted to go to arby's so bad i even thought that i was gonna have less time i'm like i guess i'm gonna have to go to arby's because i'm gonna be starving i guess i'll have a cheat day this isn't spoiling anything but when you saw joaquin (laughs) phoenix in the movie emptying his fridge and just tossing aside all the food were you outraged by seeing how that man was treating all those delectable edibles you know, I didn't see any of the delectableness <laughs> of those edibles. Okay, so it has so, to no. look good. No, I, I take I, a, I take issue with that criticism. No, but I, I would have if I saw like a beautiful something like or a other. Pot roast No, <laughs> don't do it. This movie sucks. No, I think uh, I think this is akin to horror films, and we're yeah. This reminds me of a lot of horror films and a lot of major event horror films like Psycho, The Shining, Seven, Red Dragon, except there's a major difference that we're going to get into. 
But uh, the, this is going to be a blockbuster on the level of those other films. And in many cases, it's going to transcend those other films in terms of the money that it makes. And good for WB for having the cojones to do something like this. Right. $55 million budget, you're going right. to get you know a billion dollars worldwide or whatever this is going to end up with. Certainly not your run-of-the-mill comic book movie. Certainly not a usual October release. Not a usual Oscar fodder movie. So good for WB. A mid-budget smash hit like they keep doing from mm-hmm. the Conjuring universe that's lower to mid-budget yep. to the, the It Chapter 2, which I read somewhere that was like, it was more than the original budget, but it still wasn't anything crazy. Right. It was like 60, 60, 70 yeah, million. They're raking it in. Yeah, they're raking it in, and uh, they're, they're succeeding where a lot of other studios are failing, Mike. We got some reviews now, and I guess we're going to start <laughs> with production values. Can we go sound to sight this time? The low, brassy, horn-driven oh. score of this oh. is... This has to be Oscar nominated, right? It's screwed with me so hard. It's so perfect for this it's movie. It's excellent, and there are some insane choices here with the soundtrack at the end that I still think worked. But best scene of the year. That one, one song you're talking about, we'll um, talk about. It's a it. That's sports the best scene of the arena year. anthem, and it just floored me. I couldn't believe they went Mouth there was with open. it. But you're right. The score is so affecting. You feel dread and hopelessness throughout the beginning, even when things maybe could be happening and going right for him maybe you still are anchored down to the bottom depths of the human sea of depravity with the music i've seen people on film twitter say that they go back to this score to listen to it in their everyday life how you lunatics what (laughs) you absolute lunatics i never want to hear this score again my god it's terrifying and that's why i mean yes this is truly a horror movie in a lot of senses of the word even down right down to the score and building up the suspense because of the music Fantastic job. We're going to talk about Oscar lens and all this. I firmly believe this should be Oscar nominated. The score is is great. Uh, Production design, Michael... I loved how the settings repeat themselves in each act. This could be a, could have been a sprawling epic, see every corner of Gotham. But no, you, the steps leading up to his hotel, uh, apartment, the Arkham Asylum, the late night show, the subway, the streets... All of these settings within the larger setting of Gotham is as much a character as anyone in this film. This is much more of a comic book movie than I thought it was going to be. Right. I mean, you get Arkham Asylum, you get a lot of Gotham, you certainly get characters you're familiarizing yourself with. This is a very... It's a real take. I mean, Gotham is New York City. It's Manhattan. Yeah, it's 1970s before Times Square is cleaned up. You know, you look at the Deuce. If you ever watch that show, you watch Taxi Driver. You get all that kinds of gross here, Mm -hmm. and it makes sense, but it's done subtly. It's not over the top hitting you in the face. No, it's it's not Batman Returns, and it's not Taxi Driver. It's somewhere in the middle. It does a good job. I thought the sets were brilliant, and I really enjoyed the cinematography as well. I thought it was tremendous. I think it's Lawrence Shear's best work in my opinion not for the camera movement per se because that's not his game but how he chooses to capture arthur fleck amidst all these overwhelming surroundings throughout the film the angles on the shots are incredible and i you know from the gifts to the trailers to to what you see on film it is immersing and it's some of the best cinematography i've seen in a while there's some shots in this that are so starkly beautiful just because of the contrast of colors and the the drab background the the mise-en-scene exactly yeah it's paintings and 
And they just can't be included in that end of the year Oscars retrospective montage because of what they are showing. Right. <laughs> right. But they're some of the most beautiful shots of the year in this movie. I wholeheartedly agree. In terms of the costumes, again, they're both strangely indicative of the 70s, but they're also kind of timeless. I haven't uh, seen a single suit in the last couple movies I've seen that I haven't wanted to own to my own collection. <laughs> yeah, it's retro, and it's but it doesn't scream 70s period piece. It's really, really smart. And I, I thought they're just excellent, excellent job and all across the board on the production values. Yeah, I, have, I echo what you say. This is a very clean-looking movie. It's a very professionally done-looking movie, and it's a very artistic movie. It's, it's truly kind of a, an auteur piece. It's probably an Oscar movie in yeah. many of those ways because they're they're only working with a $55 million budget, and yet you're getting a couple hundred million dollar goods for, for all sure. these production values. So this looks as good as, as Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight in many ways, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I mean, it's a t- totally different setting. Sure. But yeah. Totally I, I, different I kind of movie. Right. That's an action spectacular. This is yeah, very, right, 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 different. Right, right. This is the origins of a But I, I'm talking even like, yeah, I mean, you have the graffiti spray painted trains that were, you know, yeah. Gotham in, in Dark Knight is much more cleaner. Uh, it's just different time periods. But yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. The crazy clown motif, that movement of the mob, all the, mm-hmm. all the you know, colors. And it's incredible what they accomplish here. Let's get into the performances, and I would love to start with the ensemble, Michael, because they're much better than I thought they'd be. I thought they would be 1980s Letterman jacket-wearing bullies. I thought they'd be citizens of Derry level one. No (laughs) surprise. You get some of that. You get some of that. And I think at the end of the day, they're on that level. They're more towards that end of the spectrum than they are the other but I think these performances are very, very good to a person for the most part. Frances Conroy, to me, is the standout. I, I thought she was incredible as Arthur's mother, Penny, in this movie. I think she's great. I like De Niro. I know we have issues with what his motivations, and we're going to get into all that. Yeah. But I, I really did like De Niro, and my God, how white were his teeth. Um, <laughs> but there's not a single character from this movie that you will remember. I feel like, outside of Joaquin Phoenix. Probably, but that's because of Joaquin Phoenix. Right. Uh, th- this ensemble, they misunderstand mental illness. They're ignorant of it. That's their gravest sin. You really see how a character like this can fall through the cracks. Here's my biggest issue with these characters. When you have a realistic protagonist who's a villain, mm-hmm. and he a- is as complex as he is in this film... I think you need to make the antagonism just as complex and sophisticated, and they don't achieve that. You get comic booky tinged characters here, not on the level of the Tim Burton Batman movies. Yeah, I wouldn't even call them. I, I really don't think they're comic book. Like, I just don't think well, they're, they're well-rounded enough. They're not well-rounded enough. Yeah. I, I do call them comic Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, because you see, you see these in The Killing Joke. I mean, you see these kinds of characters just being so over-the-top cruel at the end of the day, even though the performances are nuanced. Like, Zazie Beetz, I'm thoroughly impressed with her choices in well, this Well, that's an example, role. though. She's not cruel, but she's, like, overly innocent, right? She's just, like, she's there to be the plot device of innocence to contrast what he does when he interacts with her. Yes, and we got to talk more about uh, a lot of these characters and spoilers, but I loved Shea Wiggum and Bill Camp, their performances. Brian Tyree Henry crushes another one-er. I didn't even know that was him. Like, But he gets one scene in this movie, and he crushes yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, True Detective's Glenn Fleshler, in a character that should not have any dimensions to him, 
the most ignorant of the characters in the movie, in my opinion. <laughs> and yet he is just doing a great job. He's done a great job in Barry and True Detective. I thought his performance is, is, is awesome to give me any understanding to why his character would do what he does in this movie. Because his character is such an idiot, but to, to show at least some sense behind it is a tribute to that actor. Brett Cullen as Thomas Wayne, Robert De Niro, those two characters I have more problems with. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into that. But, uh, yeah, we got to get into Joaquin Phoenix. The historical significance. So this is unlike any other portrayal of the Joker, to be sure. This is a pure madman. This is the origins of a serial murderer. Credit to Joaquin, Heath Ledger, and Jack Nicholson. I, I, every time this character is portrayed on screen, something different. it's something radically different. And we think we've reached the logical end of where we, this character can go. And these fantastic actors, and I, the director and writers get credit for it too, they keep revolutionizing this baddie to do different things. So testament, credit to all those. Testament to the comics as well. Yeah, the comic yeah true, too, industry, true too. Yeah, they can paint with broad brushes at times in terms of characterization and a lack of dimensions and i criticize it for that and i stand by those criticisms but you're right you get all these different takes right and, and it's and it's brilliant in many cases and tarantino from from him to to a million different filmmakers have talked about how comics are an art form to be put on a pedestal in many ways now they could have followed b- blueprints for this character and made it Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver. They could have followed the br- blueprint of Bonnie and Clyde. Something that stood out to me here is I've seen this character, this type of character, handled much worse. From Ryan Reynolds and the Voices, to you saw the Dahmer movie. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I mean, Hannibal Rising. You know, there are so many origin stories for serial murderers that are popular serial murderers where they just totally go the opposite way and justify every single thing they do. Bonnie and Clyde is a romanticization and just a flat out lie about those characters and their reality. Yep. Here you have to live with the mental illness Heavy. of Walking Phoenix. You have to live with all of his horrible, horrifying choices and the antagonism of the anger and cruelty and ignorance of Gotham is at fault and is enabling him every step of the way. To see this character unravel is a testament to Phoenix, though, and I, I do agree with many of his choices going up against these forces. I don't like the forces, and I have an issue with the antagonism because I think that makes or breaks a movie. Just like Joker makes or breaks a Batman movie, you don't have Batman to tip the scales here, or to, to be the scales here, to, to be that force of good, because this is Joker running unopposed. And that's a that's an issue, or that at least going into the movie, that's an issue. You forgive some weaknesses of the script because of how good Phoenix is in right. this movie. He's able to overcome some of that, and he makes the best out of the, the logical flow. Now... That's not me bad-mouthing the script because I was frustrated with myself at how much sense I thought his choices made because you're, it's, they're just all bad. Like, you're just seeing this in- guy grow more. This isn't like a slow decline into madness. This is like a head-first dive and embrace first dive. Yeah. And he starts the movie off crazy right. in the mirror. Right. You know, the very first scene But in there's the a mirror. difference between mentally ill, obviously, and... Evil and chaotic. But we understand why. When right, the med- exactly. medication stops being taken, when mm-hmm. we when, when he's treated with cruelty at every every turn. Where, I mean, we get why. I would agree with you. Like, I understand why a character would react to these things right. this way. But look, I, I don't study serial killers as like a big you know hobby of mine. Mm-hmm. I listen to a few episodes of Last Podcast on right. the left. I watch David Fincher's stuff, really, and that's the, the, the Silence of the Lambs stuff. Right, right, right. So I kind of do it at arm's length. 
what you learn about serial killers is that they come from these just nightmarish upbringings right. where they are abused and created. Which is what I think, it's one of the points I wanted to make. I don't think this movie is nihilistic, and I don't think Joaquin's portrayal right. is nihilistic. It's not. I think this is providing a lens that many of us are far too privileged to ever actually accept happens in this in our culture and yet we know that it happens because of these serial killers existing right, out there right and yet still i mean even with the, that knowledge that this stuff is clearly we don't confront it because like you say and i think it's human reaction like yeah. we want to just kind of keep that at arm's length we don't want to confront that this stuff may be actually real and when it is real we certainly don't want to walk through the paces of it how ambitious this movie is i mean you can't say enough about it but let's get back to the kind of joker character and this historical significance because the usual dimensions and dramatic irony of that evil clown they are built up to in this movie to an extent, and I don't know if they succeed at every turn, but he hasn't adopted that persona yet. I mean, he's a fully-fledged character in, in all these other movies that we've been reviewing. Mm -hmm. He must develop all of the charms and purposeful shtick to his murderous actions. Here you just have a man unhinged and unraveling, yeah. and it's a giant snowball of tragedy and despair. And The ultimate result is this is thoroughly disturbing. Uh, in a lot of ways, too. It's a lot of, not only with his actions, not only with his words, the laugh, obviously, is meant to disturb, and it does that, and you do feel bad about the mental illness attached to it, yeah. and he it makes it very clear that this Pseudo is all part of some kind of disease or affliction that he's suffering from. Pseudo-bulbar effect is what it's called. It's uncontrollable laughing or crying. This is very jarring early in, in the film, but it's explained pretty quickly. I, I, I get why it happens, and it's... It really is a brilliant addition to this, yep, to, to ground that character. And then on top of all this, you have this Christian Bale from the machinist body type dysmorphia going on. Right. And they use that to the advantage. They don't make it cinematic. They make it real. They make yeah. it jarring. They make it in your face. He's dancing around his living room with this, this rib cage just protruding out. He's tying or wrestling with his leather clown boot. And you see it from the back, the slow zoom in that his spine is basically leaving his body. The red flags are all yeah. there. In oh, yeah. person. There's no wonder he becomes what he becomes. Every aspect of this movie is meant to keep you at edge and, and disturb you and the development of the character makes sense to me as well because he's using his energies to control all of his negative thoughts on medication in therapy and he's still bumping against these hateful bullies and 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 all these injustices thrown at him every day now Worse movies would have justified his actions more than this movie. You could argue that, you know, the big scene on the subway with the, you know, the, the bully, the Wall Street bullies, that could have been done worse. And I feared, having watched the trailers, that it was going to be done worse. Still, it's it's still not great. There's some nits to be picked, as the ringer would say. But I will say that it, it, it's almost great, Mike, and it bothers me that it's almost great. But all of the creepiness on display, the creepy shirtless flexing, the mm -hmm. shirtless dancing, all of the Buffalo Bill stuff mm -hmm. in the mirrors, you know, you get all that and you understand how he's unwinding. And unfortunately, you're made to see all of the unwinding. I do think that we are able to speak on this because we've studied all these other jokers i think when you go for the dark and gritty performance you got to match that basis in reality with a basis in reality that is just as sophisticated on the other side if it's going to be about a serial killer learning his craft you need 
You know, you need the the, the hunter. You need the uh, detectives to be capable. You need the <laughs> politicians any, any to make yeah. sense and to be more nuanced about what they do. You need the the citizens of Gotham to be more. Someone's got to be kind and empathetic somewhere. Well. This is a, a struggle. I agree, yeah, to have a successful film, you do need that somewhere. But at the same time, there is circumstances where that just isn't... I think this is more of a portrayal of life that we don't want to encounter than it is. And I think this is what Todd Phillips would explain to you, too. I think it's more of a portrayal of life that we just kind of want to turn a blind eye to. It's forcing you to take a look at all those types of, of issues. As a composition on the whole, it kind of works. But I think when I'm you, not saying it's successful in doing these things. When you realize how much therapy and how much intervention most of these serial killers get in, in their real mm-hmm. lives, and how much intervention that he got in this story and in the exposition that mm-hmm. is dropped later on, and we're dealing with this unreliable narrator to an extent where he realizes things that he always knew, and he basically tells us, or it's told to him, and we realize it later because he's not remembering all these things. He's dwelling on the negative thoughts because that's what his disorder is, is pushing him towards. The fact that we don't get any kindnesses in this film is is jarring, let's just say, and it, you, you wind up just with overwhelming sadness and hopelessness about this society as a whole. Yeah, well, that's certainly true. And I wonder if that's intentional. Or it I, is intentional. Or, or I, yeah. wonder, I wonder if the thought was it's going to be okay because there's enough kindness in, say, the mother's intentions or in, say, the Zazie beats. I just wonder. But they're undercut. I, I, I agree. I don't, I, again, I, I'm not saying this is successful. I'm just saying I wonder if that's what the intention of this was and the interpretation was we have enough so let's or or if it just straight was let's just burden everybody with overly disgusting cruelty and negativity and so what that we don't have enough kindness. So those are most of our script thoughts here. I do want to bring up a quote from Gandalf once again and uh, it's when he's talking to Saruman. I've said this on the pod before. It is perilous to study too deeply the arts of the enemy for good or for ill. Now, I think society has done this to a fault, and especially the movie industry has done this to a fault. Do Should we want to understand these people more? And is that a noble enterprise to understand so, them more? It's just I get a little cynical about it when it's trying to make a billion dollars. I think there's a place for these movies that's not that's separate from Academy consideration. I think there's a place where you can use movies to highlight and examine and investigate a tragedy, an historical event, a mental handicap that maybe you don't want to confront or maybe doesn't get enough exposure. I think there's certainly a place that these can be used as learning tools Mm -hmm. for people who kind of don't want to confront them, who don't want to watch the news, who don't want to be informed about these things, who want to live in a bubble. I think there are, and there should be, Places for these cinematic events to be tools of education. And if you have to have them with Joaquin Phoenix in them to sell more tickets, I understand profit obviously is the underlying message of all studios. That's not, I'm not blind to that. But outside of profit, I think they can be, the secondary and can be educational. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get on this movie for, for some failures that go beyond like this being a better than average genre piece in this genre that I didn't think it was going to be a part of. And I agree with you that movies like this can be important and can help people. Uh, And they can be morality tales, fables. This is an apocalyptic level fable here, Mike. I mean, when you look at the criticisms of the society of Gotham, I do think that is the moral center of this film. 
and we worried about this being nihilistic we worried about this being a glorification of the violence that that was going to happen we got our issues with the film and i certainly have my issues with the third act but i uh i do see what they're trying to do here with the script do they succeed you're gonna have to wait and see it in spoilers because i i do think they they have some failures there and that's i think they think they succeeded <laughs> they yeah. did more than how it came off yeah so i think in their minds they think they have something here that doesn't lend itself to our interpretations and i think them seeing our interpretations in mass, how we all see this as a very visually disturbing thing, and they don't want it to come off that way. They want it to just be a mirror to society and, and have it be kind of our, us searching ourselves. I think that's what makes them so defensive. Well, I think... And their defense has come out like it has the last week. I think they underestimate people because people can get that they're trying for this criticism, this social criticism, but are they succeeding at the social criticism? Right. Could they have succeeded more right. with it? I believe they could have. I'm going to tell you how and why in spoilers. Now, that's, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking. That's who am I to say, you know, these people didn't do their jobs correctly. But in this effing climate where you have these horrible things happening every other month, it seems, and you have concern being voiced by victims and, and families and friends and et cetera, et cetera. And this is going to be a Halloween event that makes a billion dollars worldwide. Mm -hmm. And you're going to you know, make out like bandits for this project. And even the nature of this project is something that invites criticism. The fact that you don't nail it invites even more criticism. And you deserve all the criticism that you're going to get here. Which is different than saying... Like you're not you're not chastising the attempt. I'm not chastising right. the and attempt. And I think that's important to underscore and highlight. It's not saying if you don't do it perfectly, you shouldn't do it. That's not what you're saying. I'm not saying that. But you have to be okay with not doing it perfectly and having people point out that you didn't do it perfectly. It's not just not perfectly. It's just that like these are Again, blatant. Yeah, issues. I'm not saying that's this yeah. is rubbing up against that. I'm so just making the point. Let's jump into the Oscar lens here because I think there are two separate questions that segue nicely now. Will this get nominated and should this get nominated, Mike? And we can bring ethics into this discussion. I think we always have and we always will and I always yeah. want to. And I don't think I'm wrong to bring ethics into this. I, I don't think I'm wrong. And I really dis dislike a lot of the hot takes out there from current reviewers like, well, we can't have the moral discussion because you're just blame gaming. Mm -hmm. Are you blame gaming? Are we that fucking simple? No, we're not. We can we can discuss this in a nuanced, complex well, way. Like I think we are we are going yeah. to, yeah. and then yet they just put us all in the box, and it's ridiculous how how, how they reduce people out there yeah. who are who are coming up with uh, their takes, and it's not just simply oh, I'm going to boycott this film because of X, Y, and Z. There's more to it than that. This climate is extreme, and we have to recognize that fact. Nick Mundy had a tweet yesterday that I I retweeted late at night, and it said. There's only two takes for this movie. It's either it's a masterpiece that shouldn't be viewed by human eyes yeah. or it's a despicable piece of cinema. You have to go see it. That is a <laughs> just, that is a brilliant comedian just right. basically framing the hypocrisies right. on all these hot takers. Out so there. should it be nominated? Um, I hate the argument forever that a nomination is a win for any performance. I think it makes no sense because the win is the win, obviously. Right. Uh, I think it's just a talking point for media. A nomination should be a win. That should be as far as this performance goes. I don't think we can award this performance. Well, I think 
that's going to happen. So the, I think it gets I, nominated. I, I agree. I'm taking no. Uh, will it get nominated? Yes. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is going to get nominated for this performance, and I can see why. I mean, the versatility's there. It's all there. Obviously, yeah. it's all there. This I mean, is, he is the movie. And he's the movie, even in so far as the title. Is, he's literally the movie. Is he the best performance of the year in terms of actors go? Is he better than Leo for you? I don't think that matters. I don't. I, I don't. Listen, this guy, this character, he lacks any moral compass, right? And it's just... Is that his fault? We, we don't know. It but does, yeah. I don't, I, right. It, it doesn't matter because there's not the opposing force that... There's not the Clarice that says this is what the bad guy is. Yeah. Don't, view, dear viewer, don't go too far into this man's psychosis, thinking that every decision he makes, he was forced to, right. and it's not his fault. And worse than that, the character has no accountability of himself at some point, right? He just—it's a constant. Okay, society has treated me this way. Then it's society's fault. I'm lashing out. And when you have a character that just lacks any kind of moral compass and moral feeling, at some point. If that character is just a purely agent of chaos and he's motivated just by vengeance and just by evil and there's no opposing force to keep him in a box, the antagonism isn't strong enough, I don't... It's really tough for me to swallow the argument that awarding him wouldn't in some way be putting a seal of approval on the underlying actions. Well, I'm going to disagree with you there because I do think that Roman J. Israel is a film that fails in many ways, but Denzel's performance is great. Is it top five? Who knows, but it's top 10. I mean, I still think you can reward performances in films that fail, just generally fail. I mean, at Eternity's Gate, it's... As a thesis, yeah, but fail in this way, with these themes... With these this, stakes. In, I mean, these, again, in this climate. We're bringing up the climate, right. and I think that's, that's uh, my, I'm reasonable. Talking, I, I, I don't disagree with what you said. Certainly in general, we've had a litany of nominations and winners for movies that were, I mean, Christ, we just had Snubbable versus Unstubbable. We had this whole discussion. I'm talking specifically, like, this should be an exception, I feel like, because of the climate and the stakes and what it's talking about and what it's commentating on and the outcome and the lack of consequences. The Academy, I mean, if they're not hypocritical at the end of the day, should probably agree with you, right? And unless they think that this was a successful film and putting out the social criticism that it does, because we have seen movies with characters that are half this abrasive not get nominated because they're so slimy, and they're because they're, they're so disturbing and evil, and go back, Beasts of No Nation and Idris Elba, go back to... Yeah to many other characters in this way. And he, I even think, you know, the vice character of, uh, you know, Christian Bale, he he loses to a, a much, you know, nicer performance of uh, Freddie Mercury. He loses to a, a performance that's much easier to celebrate. And all those movies, all those examples, the movie is telling us this is wrong, what these characters are doing. Right. That's not here. And first of all, WB, fuck you for lying to us outright. This is not a glorification of this guy. I mean, this character was a crucifix away from being a savior at the end of this movie. And there's no opposing force right. other than our own ethics and morality that we bring into the theater to tell us this is wrong. And it may not be wrong to some people. I, I, I don't yeah. think you can award that. I, I get that argument. I think that's an argument worth having. Uh, I disagree on those grounds. Because I think the best movies should be nominated at the end of the I know, day. I know, and I think this is one of the best performances of the year with a bullet, easily. I think, well, I think, this, ironically, with a bullet. Uh, yeah. So if I have to come down, I, I, I would say, yeah, I think he should be nominated, and his sensitive and thorough portrayal. I, yeah, I don't want to underscore that. I, I'm fine with nomination. I'm fine with nomination. Yeah. Awarding it, 
I would okay. start to agree with the outrage. So I would argue that Bonnie and Clyde's 10 nominations, if I was alive, I would have been much more pissed about that winning two awards and being nominated for 10 things. I, I have real issues with that story more than this one. I think that's a romanticization of those outlaws. I think that the glorification is much worse. I have ethical concerns with that much more than I have with this. I think I could see what they're trying to do in this movie, but it's still so effed up at the end of the day. We're going to argue about moral center at the end of this. In terms of picture, screenplay, director, I could see it, but... I'm rooting against it. I, I think director on the bottom level there, I don't think that'll happen. Screenplay, I would argue against it. And I think people are are portraying this movie as like a masterpiece, like a master storytelling uh, no, enterprise. Yeah, and I, I disagree. I, I really, I wholeheartedly disagree. Where this movie should probably get nominated and where I would endorse it is production design, score, cinematography, sound effects, even though I'm a little sound deaf, even after seeing it twice in a row. I'm rooting for other movies to be better than this at the end of the day. Because I, I think I, I get why you're well, rooting where, against that's this. where your I just want to reward the best movies comes into play against you. I don't yeah. I don't feel like we should have that feeling. Like, we shouldn't be rooting against... Like, if I had that feeling. I know, but I, I'm just... I don't disagree with you having the feeling. I, I'm sure I do, too. I'm hoping something usurps this. But I feel like that we have to talk ourselves and regret awarding... Oscars to something isn't a place that the Oscars were intended to be. I just feel overall as a principle that's just wrong and we could avoid it. And why should we avoid it? Because of our feelings and because of the time we're in. What's your guess at the end of the day? How many nominations? Actor, easily. I don't think director. Score, I would hope, so that's two. Production design, I would hope, so that's three. One of the sound effects is pretty darn good. Cinematography, maybe, but that's I don't always think cinematography, crowded, yeah. crowded and, and screenplay is the only one I'm grappling with. You know, it depends on how it's received, I guess. And so, so you, I think, yeah, I, I always have issues with the screenplay nominees. So yeah, I could see that happening. So uh, I'm thinking like four or five at the most. Yeah, I, I see like a five nominee yeah. film here, even though I'll disagree with like two of them. And then I'll be like, well, this was better than these other movies and it should have been nominated here. I think that's what's going to happen at I the just, end of the day. This guy who was just so evil and making and just never being told he's wrong and getting away with everything. That's the, the that's the best performance of the year. That's what makes you that's why you go to movies I don't Scott Feinberg had said it on our show I mean people are looking to make statements with their nominees and their picks for winners these days I don't think you're wrong for that yeah that's my feeling that's my feeling I mean it doesn't mean anything to anyone I understand that I understand your take on it nowadays because you're looking at it more as what should we celebrate on this year of film and this is what we should celebrate on that year of film and take top tier examples of it but but let's we can we can pick and choose, or we can we can actually uh, differentiate based on ethical principles and based on you know what we want to celebrate as a society and, and as an industry. And I get that. I I still think you know entertainment, especially art. You know, I I, te- I tend to lean more on the side of you know let's just pick the pick the winner, pick the best. I would like to think that I would just say, all right, it is the best on the year. And yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. Might be the best on the year, Mike. And I, that's what I'm wrestling with right now. I like Leo's performance. Is it better than this one? I don't know. This was, this was great. I wasn't going to bring this up either because it exposes a, a thought of mine. And it just I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to disagree with this. But having looked into like the motivations behind the Columbine shooters and stuff like oh. that, like at some point you're going to find the wrong people that see this movie and 
whether or not they act on those actions is is wholly irrelevant. They're going to think the Joker was right, and they're going to see it getting awarded for best actor, and it's going to tell them, well, see, there's a part of society that agrees with me, and I just, I if we can avoid that, we should. That's I, I didn't want to touch on that because I realize that's very controversial and it's a loaded, but that's there's a part of my mind that thinks that way. If you're if it's between rewarding Leo for once upon a time in Hollywood, who's his own character with struggles and has its own tragedies, or rewarding this character, I would hope the tiebreaker goes against this, which kills me to say because Joaquin is phenomenal in this movie. But again, you, you know, you you're making an argument tinged with Feinbergisms, and he came out against this film with concerns, right? And I think those are valid concerns, and I, I, I get aggravated at people not, you know, just just like the movie. It's just a movie, and and. You know, movies are more to us than just that, and this conversation right. is is an example of that. So, and that's why you're getting an eight hour non spoiler section. Yes. Oh no, <laughs> get at the spoilers. Spoilers ahead. You don't listen, dear. You? you ask the same question every week. Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed, but I do, and people are starting to notice. This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for the Oscar Sprint Profile slash Joker character study of the movie Joker, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar, the Todd Phillips movie. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to go pause, head out to your local theater, go check it out for yourself. If you're not interested in seeing the movie, if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler category, or if you're just interested in hearing our thoughts, this is where you want to be. It's all spoilers all the time, the Oscar Sprint Profile slash Joker character study series of Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix's The Joker, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Mike, we're going to go right into how evil was this character's deed how evil were my deeds (laughs) all right so we're going to run down this plot in a couple different ways i'm kind of going to list off you know what happens in in terms of his crimes that he Mm -hmm. commits he kills three wall street guys who bully him on the subway you can argue that they're drunk you can argue that he shoots the first one in self-defense but then he kind of guns down the other two in cold right. blood you can argue a lot of things you can argue that those characters are not just letterman jacket wearing that that scene gets out of their control i was surprised to see the nuances in that take but where do we end at the end of the day we end with a bunch of bullies bullying him and therefore he commits his first crime you get slight justification but not bonnie and clyde level justification that is quite the sequence him running away, my God. I mean, a lot of this movie, and I know you're going to get into more of it, but a lot of this movie is just a series of awful events stacked one on top of the other, and then it's the decisions of the man and his coping with their consequences, if there are any that the movie presents at all. Uh, he ends up choosing violence pretty much all the time, and sometimes it's reasonable, like you said the first time, the self-defense, reasonable, arguable that it's reasonable in court, and then sometimes it's unreasonable and just mayhem and chaotic, mm. as in gunning down that third victim, get making a point to get off the train, hunt him down like a dog, and finish the job. It's terrifying yeah. stuff. Uh, he has one interaction with Zazie Beats and her daughter on an elevator that is strange at best, but to him it was like some kind of commiseration. That's a good. This movie does a great job of little details like yeah. that because even that that first interaction of him on the surface level, if I were to, if you saw this story in a newspaper of what he was doing, you'd say, oh, he's just commiserating with her. He's just trying to find common ground. But the movie makes it very creepy. 
as creepy as it gets, yeah. and it's really well done. Even though I, I did guess what was going to happen here. I, that's I another, couldn't help it. That's another point I want to bring up. Telegraphed. There weren't twists in this movie, I felt. This I felt trying everything was very... You felt like it was it was trying to be a twist? I yeah. mean, well, because they it was showed re- it was like a reveal, it was a fight, right? Yeah, it was like a Fight Club Seven reveal, right? It was a reveal, flashing certainly. back to all of it. But I, I'm with you. I thought there was enough there where I guess that was going on. And I'll say the same even about what happened at the ending of this. I felt like it was kind of obvious where this was going to end up. The scenes are very good, though. Yeah. I mean, he stalks as he beats the next day. She drops off her daughter, and then, in a brilliant fashion, he fantasizes throughout Act Two that she's his girlfriend, that she's kind to him. The only character in the movie that's kind to him at any point is this fantasy. Well, I guess another Robert De Niro character could be, you know, a, a fantasy that's also kind to him at the beginning of the film. But he is stalking her fantasizing about her and then at the end of the movie he breaks into their apartment and we realize that she's just been in his mind the whole time that he wasn't there throughout all of his troubles and that she wants him to get the hell out of his apartment and i I even think she makes sense in how she gets him out of there she kind of calmly talks him talks him out and i was happy to see that actually and the, the the point is the only comfort that this man has in his life the only consoling he has outside of some of his mother, I guess, even though she doesn't really do that well of yeah. a job, the only cons- consoling he finds is fictitious fantasies that he, his you, mind creates. You hear about this with all the serial killers yeah. on Mindhunter, etc. They talk about how these characters can only live fantasy lives mm-hmm. that make any sense to them. He brings a gun to a children's hospital. It falls out of his pants while performing for sick children. What a crushing scene that was. Sad. A lot of this guy's life is really objectively sad stuff. He stalks Thomas and Bruce Wayne at Wayne Manor, uh, attempts to chokes Alfred on the fence there. He stalks Thomas Wayne at a, at a movie theater. Wayne punches him in the bathroom after telling him the truth about his delusional mother. He then goes to uh, Arkham Asylum and he steals his mother's records from Brian Tyree Henry there, the admin, administrative assistant. After his mother has a stroke, he smothers her to death in her hospital room, Mike, he kills no his... No consequence. Right. He kills his co-worker the next day when he's getting into the like, Joker face paint. This is part of the the problem I have with rewarding this performance, too. Is he, he murders his mother in cold blood, just goes on with his day, but the movie doesn't ever suggest that <laughs> that's a bad deed. You could There's an argument to be made that like he should kill. His mother should be done away with, right? Because she's kind of holding him back in some ways and kind of stunting his growth as a human being and becoming a man. And well, I mean, we've seen this done in other movies where it's a mercy killing. You know, going through... Uh, Agree. You know, a stroke that bad and, and all that. And, and it's But there's a, no side emotion no, here. Not, there's no sadness. Not. There's no forgiveness. There's no sorrow. It's just all... Chaos. Well, he's numb, and he's right. a sociopath at this point. So he, he kills his co-worker the next day. They come to his apartment knowing that his mother just died. They come with a bottle of liquor. They want to, you know, sit down with him and see how he's doing. Well, they want to clear their name. They also, Gary's surprised that Randall speaks up and talks about, well, the cops are questioning me. You know, what are you going to say to him? Let's get our story straight. That is a terrifying sequence. My God, what an image. What a beautiful, beautiful image with the white of the face paint and the dark red of the blood splatter after he's done killing Randall. He shoots Murray Franklin dead on TV. We're going to get into this more as we go here. He kills his new therapist in the final scene at Arkham Asylum. At least that's intonated that he he does kill her because of the red footprints there running away from the guards. 
Mike, this is not Mastermind Joker. This is barely holding it together, unraveling, serial murderer. This was suicidal Joker, and then he admits that he likes it when he vents his anger out on others. He admits that to Brian Tyree Henry. This is the Henry. game of shoots and ladder, right? I mean, this isn't a downward spiral. This is a downward shoot. Yeah. This is a guy that does one bad decision in shooting those kids. He immediately feels validation because of the way that the, this narration, this narrative on classism that the movie tries to have and weave throughout, but he's held up as a hero to some yeah. against the elites because these are prep school kids that are all in suits that were antagonizing him on the train, and so he just decides to be an agent of chaos. So the quote-unquote antagonism of this movie that should pose larger and larger obstacles to his rise, they don't. They enable him more and more and more, right. and that is shocking to me that they would go this... I mean, I get the, the social criticism in that. It doesn't work to me because this is like the Forrest Gump of criminals that get become celebrities, Mike. I, I mean, would he, like to think these this set of circumstances is unrealistic. This is a perfect storm of right. unrealistic circumstances. And they're trying to make ties to Occupy Wall Street, Antifa, 2016 yep. clown sightings, putting all those together. Yep, yep, they're yep. trying to make ties to modern politics. Very, very cynical interpretations of the modern psychological, mental health industries of politics. I guess to the movie's credit, every side of some coins are just all dark. Like, rich people could be shit. Poor people could be shit. The government shit. and politicians could be corrupt, but the protesters could be very violent and wrong. So it's But it's just everybody is wrong. Everybody's wrong. Every step of the way in this guy's life. And there's no Batman in sight. And there's no Clarice. Yeah, there's no, hey, look at this box of wrong that's happening. In most movies that have gone down this path, you have had some form of opposition. In Even a, in the citizens of Gotham, character. right? Like, could no. be said, yeah, it's just not. They're just easily swayed and easily hold up this clown as a hero to them. So he gets this Joker triumph at the end of the movie with incredible production values. Mm -hmm. And then, he, this ways, is his, he's a, a hero scene. I mean, my God, it's, it's a, a gathering. <laughs> it's sad, and it, you watch it, and it's fucked up. Yeah. But you're right. It's his triumph scene here. Are they dancing on the level of glorification? Yes. It's a gathering crowd of citizens who have decided to take the government and justice into their own hands, overthrown the... Uh, this, is, this is an uprising. He's the leader of an uprising. Now, it has historical, you know significance and it has historical precedent i mean you know the french from the french revolution throughout every you know rise of a sure, dictator sure. every crazy person who's risen and become a symbol for for other people i mean this happens all the time you get sycophants for every I mean, serial what, murder what in is jail. your what is your definition of glorification if it's holding up a, a guy to near deity level that's done in this movie if it's celebrating the actions of a person, well, that's at, certainly at, done at in this, this movie. at the same time he is put behind bars by the end of it he is you know, yes. He, he, so, you know. to me, that was Todd Phillips and the movie saying, well, look, this is there is good. The bad guy does get caught, except that it's a two-minute scene, a three-minute scene, and it's the only yin to the chaos and evil's yang throughout the entire movie. I still think... Todd Phillips is saying. I mean, I I know he's saying this. He's he's not saying, "Yay, bad guys." No, of course not. not. I don't want to. No, absolutely. But not. he's saying, absolutely not. He's no, saying he's not. in that right. triumph that it is. Look how fucked up this yep. is, and look. He how thinks society, he's holding a mirror up to society, and yeah. he says as much in the Vanity Fair piece. Right. Okay, so the deeds were pretty gosh darn evil. Let's get into some worst though, because I think 
before we get into some bests and some more Joker character study segments, we got to talk about some more worse. The first glaring one, taken chronologically in the movie, this is a man who is terrified to fire a gun in his own apartment, and in the very next scene, he's able to shoot three Wall Street kids and turn into a manhunter killer. I understand he has a mental illness. I understand he's a bit; his mind is clearly deranged, but he is fearful of firing that gun in the scene where he's dancing around his living room, and then the next scene is him on the train being a cold-blooded killer. Well, he's a bit of a mishmash because apparently Randall reveals at the end of the movie that he was seeking out a thirty-eight. Someone to give him a 38 before Randall gave him that bag. And then that's a line in the movie. So he was seeking out a gun before this point. And I think that's yeah, because he I'm was fine su- with that. suicidal. Yeah. I don't think he ne- necessarily thought about it as uh, you know a, a means of protection. When Randall put that puts that idea into his head, yeah, I mean... He, Where's the character development, I guess, is my point. How do you go from one minute firing a gun into a wall and being like, oh shit, I gotta turn up the volume on the TV, I'm you know, terrified, I'm scared. Again, the character's erraticness... Is it, just, is it just the mental illness? Right. Yeah, I, I think I would like a little more. That's where I'm laying it. I really hate the fact that every single character in this movie is cruel to him. And yeah. I, I think if you had one touchstone of kindness here, it would make more sense to me. It makes no sense that that everybody is, is an absolute nightmare to him including the people on the bus yeah. including the, uh, the the gang of kids at the beginning of the movie and you know I can rationalize a few of them being there like alright if he's beat and traumatized by uh, bad people alright I get that but when everybody is traumatizing to him it really aggravates me and even the fact that you know you get this overt scene of bullies on the train even though they try to make it nuanced still doesn't work and isn't that kind of the problem too it justifies the madness in a way because, of course, if everybody is that much of a shithead to you in life, you're going to... The complexities of Batman are matched by the complexities of the Joker, and you don't have a movie without Batman here. You don't have matched complexity by the antagonism that is the citizens of Gotham City. You don't have that matching. You have comic booky villains matching this uh, this character, and it doesn't work. Yeah, and there's no one moment of antagonism that certainly merits the response he gives it, and yet... Uh, but with along your lines of people being shitty and everyone being shitty, Thomas Wayne gives the worst campaign kickoff speech of all time yes. as he announces he's going to run for mayor. He basically calls all those citizens of Gotham sycophants and know-nothings, but I'm your savior and you have to vote for me. It's so preposterous. <laughs> it's so preposterous. And then later in the movie, why would he provoke a character that he knew choked out Alfred on his front doorstep the day before? Why would he provoke? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just the audacity of that. Machoism. And I get it. The machoism of it. It's just, but it's stupid. Like, that guy could have a gun on you right then. Yeah. He, he's in a, in this ratty jeans and jacket, and you, everybody is in black tie. I think it's he's also... He's in the bathroom. It's ridiculous I, that he would go there. This is where I bring up, this movie was clearly made by a man. I mean, there is some machoism in these characters and these decisions that just, I don't think a, a woman would do. All right, but fine. It's, or a it's, woman could get away with, I should well, say. It is a man hating on toxic mas- masculinity, though. I mean, it's not... I mean, that's he's showing the how Joker gets to this point, how he triumphs at the end because of all these examples Fair. of toxic masculinity, of you know medical negligence, of all the cruelty and ignorance. He's showing that. I just don't think it's... I don't buy it, is what I'm saying. I don't buy it, especially when you go to such great lengths to characterize Arthur Fleck. The system abandoning him and letting him down, preposterous. There is no way 
budget cuts notwithstanding, that's fine. You could have budget cuts in a city. They're not going to just abandon a mentally ill on any seven medications patients on seven medications because of liability alone. They wouldn't do that for the. I mean, there's no way that would happen. So when you say it's a perfect storm, yes, some of these things objectively are unrealistic. Now you can make the argument certainly that the system tends to turn its back on the have-nots. And right. that's absolutely true. If you don't have great insurance in this country, you're effed. You're SOL. I would like to think, having worked and seen it from the inside and seen the administration side and seen the law side, having worked in the courthouse for years, I find it very, very implausible that no matter how... I, I worked in, an, in a rough city. I find it very implausible that no matter how little you do have... If you're in that mental state and you are seen as that somewhat of a danger, like this guy clearly was, you would be just wholly given up on. They wouldn't lock him up in Arkham Asylum for whatever That's amount of time. And begging then... for a lawsuit. Right. Begging for a lawsuit to happen. That's ridiculous. I agree. Brian Tyree Henry's scene is unbelievable, too. Like, why would he go down to the depths of the records room, pick yeah. out this file only not to give it to him. Like, he doesn't realize that all of these files have a ho unique horrors in I think each and at every that one point, of them. this script might have written itself into a corner. It did. Yeah. And that's why this is so contrived. This script bothers me yeah. because it's contriving this perfect storm, but you don't have the chain of causality to back it up. You could have made, made it work. You could have taken the... You know his unreliable narratorness, mm -hmm. and and, and right. worked it through that. There were solutions built into this that they didn't Agreed. go for. Agreed. They didn't take the time to go for it. They they didn't write themselves out of the corner properly enough. Uh, the last little thing before we get into the two bigger issues, Thomas and Martha Wayne are killed at the end of this. That's one of the big endings. Yeah. Why are they out on this night, and why are they out with no bodyguards and security and nobody? I mean that's. Yeah just ridiculous you saw that it's not like this protest wasn't hinted at and it, it didn't just spur the moment happen again if you're going to be realistic for much of the movie right. and then you're going to be so unrealistic with the rest of it yeah that's a problem right. and that's a problem for a quote-unquote oscar nominated oscar contending script yeah masterpiece of a film kind of thing it doesn't make sense Agree. okay let's talk about the bigger things here yeah you have conflicting feelings about the ending of this movie again i think Joaquin Phoenix's reactions to the over-the-top nonsense that mm -hmm. all these other characters are giving him mm -hmm. makes sense, and it is a horror spectacle unlike I've ever seen. I would agree. And, and, I, and I think logically, within the movie, given what the facts that are given to this character, you can understand his I can understand footsteps. how he does yeah. what he does and why people you know, put, put him on a pedestal. I get all that. Sure. And it's terrifying, and, yep. it, and it's terrifying as a social criticism. That being said... Murray Franklin is going to ridicule a comedian at a nightclub who bombs. I know you said, all right. Yeah, we look differently at, the, at that motivation. If it's cruel Gotham City, comic booky Gotham, all right, maybe. And again, you can use that to rationalize this whole thing. It's still a comic book movie. I've heard that out there. And these are tinges of comic book movies, and this is the reality of the comic books. And yet, you put this mentally ill character that you could have in a prestige drama. Yeah, that is has nothing to do with comic book movies. That's transcending the genre in some ways, and then you have the genre's biggest pitfalls still acting here because Murray Franklin's ridiculing of the Joker in that scene, before that scene, throughout this movie, objectively is cruel. It's objectively cruel and stupid. It's stupid with all the chaos going out there with clowns murdering people, and then the, when this guy comes out and says, "I killed those three Wall Street guys," whether you believe him or yeah. not. 
for for Murray to poke the bear there okay. is idiotic. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. There's a lot of things that, again, the script kind of wrote itself into the corner, and you want to end with the live assassination of the David Letterman character. Right. That's where this script wants to go. I don't think you can get there. And I think this was an attempt, but it doesn't make any sense because, one, <laughs> uh, late-night shows are taped at 6 o'clock at night. <laughs> They're not shown live. That's neither here nor there, though. Right. Uh, two, if the protests are that big of a deal, you're not going to let this guy show up in clown paint. They try to explain it away. Mark Maron's trying to explain, yeah. we can't let this guy, we can't do this, and, and Murray's just belligerent about it. Right. Yeah, I get it. Okay, so even if you want Murray to be that stupid, and maybe if he is that stupid, maybe he does poke the bear, but if as soon on live TV as this maniac who clearly is not responding to any kind of conversation. Every red flag in the book. Exactly. You're throwing up a lot of red flags. As soon as he says, I killed those people, the program is shut down. Marie is ushered off the stage. Security comes in. The cops are called. The studio audience leaves. This studio audience doesn't leave or react until the gunfire, which makes no sense, which is stupid. Murray poking the bear, like you said, as you got a guy here that says, I killed three people. He's not going to sit there and try to play the anchor of truth. Yeah. And if that was Todd Phillips' idea of the yin to the evil Zhang in this movie, that's poorly executed. It's poorly executed. And it's like these two re- dueling realities going on. Yeah. Batman, the animated series, which we enjoy sure. studying with Mark Hamill, etc. But let's be honest how characters operate in Batman the Animated Series, it's preposterous if you put it up against reality. You have Batman the Animated Series level understandings of certain groups of characters, and then you have this, you know, character study on the level of Taxi Driver for Joaquin Phoenix. It doesn't match up. And again, I get that you need to get to him assassinating Murray Franklin on TV. Right. But it's really tough to get to that place. And I think this script is indicative of that. Well, let's get into some most memorable quotes or actions, some best scenes kind of before we finish up, though. Most memorable quote or action. So this is a creep fest, Mike. Uh, All the dancing, all the, you know, Silence of the Lambs dancing is terrifying. Joaquin Phoenix's performances from the apartment room where he's just putting his hands up and having that fantasy to the involving the gun to after the murder where he's dancing in the, in the grimy bathroom. These were in just uh, unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah, I take issue with the bathroom one because I don't understand, again, unless you're just attributing it to his mental illness, why he would react that way after just killing these people. Well, he's associating the fantasy life that he's had at the beginning of the film, and again, this makes sense based on any study of serial killers, with the killings, so with that's the murders. tethering it to a good thing? Yeah, okay, he's that's tethering, yeah. he, he's association. But, associating. your larger point, and the overall point is absolutely true. It's incredibly creepy, and again, it's only enhanced by this Christian Bale body morphing type thing that we had when he was in The Machinist. I mean, had Joaquin Phoenix been the master level or the master weight Joaquin Phoenix, it, it doesn't come off as crazy and creepy. Is there a more disturbing scene in this movie than him at Wayne Manor? Creepy clown guy walking on the side of, with that little kid. I mean, obviously it's Batman, it's future Batman, but my God, that was the the scariest, one of the scariest scenes in the movie. I was wondering what the hell he was going to do. It's incredibly creepy. Again, credit to Joaquin Phoenix. 
I think this movie does some good in that way. You could see a portrayal of a of a child predator like this, and it could be educational and informative if you don't want to watch the news and get weighed down by the burden of these real stories happening in real life. You can show them in a movie and show that it is really happening and how real it could come off and seem and, and play in real life. The unique setting of the uh, the clown dressing room, the clown locker room was was interesting. I get how they're clowns for hire there. One of those clown guys is the performer at Pogo's, which I thought was interesting yeah. to explain how he would get five minutes on stage. Again, they don't have those scenes for us, but that little you know Easter egg at least makes some sense in the causality of it because otherwise... He's just going to open mics. He's not going to get on a a major stage there. And you pointed out that Pogo's is John Wayne Gacy's clown name. Horrifying. Um, It's just terrifying, (laughs) isn't it? I buy how the mob embraces him at the end. And this is as disturbing as it gets. And I I buy the reaction of that. Sure, for the tone of the movie and what the table was set at. Yeah, absolutely. You could see that being the outcome. I buy how the mob reacts with uh, the cops on the subway. It was terrifying. And it's just, again, it's a perfect storm. Once those wheels are in motion. Right, so for what it was, again, this is a very, and I, I was aggravated at how much sense it made. But these are all the same reasons why I think we can, you can't award this performance. Killing Randall, sparing Gary. That is a heartbreaking scene that works on your nerve endings like nothing I've seen in, in, in film this year. That scene where Gary can't reach the lock, when that happens, it just in the pit of oh my, my stomach, God. I was dying. And then he does still let him go. Just oh he's my the god! Keeper of yeah, he's the gatekeeper of who lives. Uh, and I'm with you. I'm with you. I I was disgusted at it. Disgust. Smart, smart. I mean, it, it really makes, good scene. Yeah, it's a great scene. I I had two others. One again, the homage and the inspiration to King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. Clearly, as Joaquin is playing the role, walking through what he's going to say on Murray Franklin before he thinks he's going to kill himself Whoa. in his own. He set up the Murray Franklin yeah, talk right. show. It's exactly what Robert De Niro did in King of Comedy with his basement where he lives with his mother setting up Jerry Lee Lewis's Jerry Lee Lewis? Jerry Lewis's talk show yeah. <laughs> uh, as it's played in that. So it was clear inspiration. I like that. I thought that was a nice touch. Best scene of the year so far. Joaquin Phoenix having just killed his quote-unquote friend on his way to the Robert De Niro talk show Coming down these large steps, he's celebrating and dancing because he's finally freed. He sees life as a comedy. It's down not a tragedy. Steps, yeah. And he's dancing on the steps to rock and roll by Gary Glitter. My mouth was open at the audacity of that scene after what we had just seen him brutally and rigidly murder his friend and then play gatekeeper with his other friend who he allowed to live. It works coming off that effed up scene. It's disturbing. Oh my God. Is the most disturbing scene in the film. How they're, I don't want to say glorifying. But it is, Mike. It is a little bit. It is a little bit. (laughs) You don't get the rock and roll by Gary Glitter in real life. You're indulging (laughs) in how evil this character is and how fascinating the character is because of how evil he is. And that's the whole nature of the project. That's the whole nature of the Joker character in general. That's the whole nature of Hannibal Lecter in general. Even though I think they have more dimensions and that they're helping heroes. Certainly. You know, it's it's a little different. And that's what I think, I guess, you could call the secret spice of what would have made this work for me at the end of the day. Because I don't think this movie works for me at the end of the day, unfortunately. it's I'm still going to give it a high-ish grade based on some things. Yeah. But. I'm, I'm at the point, in the theater, 
I really, really liked it, and I was obviously wowed by Joaquin's performances, and I think, like you said, his uniqueness is what made this whole thing work at all, because I think without that, we'd be having a totally different tone with this review. But, having left the theater, I'm more and more getting weighed down yeah, by the idea. I'm more mixed on it. Yeah. And, and yet, still, this grade, you're going to you're gonna read my grade on it, and you're yeah. going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? Hey, speaking of grades, let's do it. And finally, on a scale of one to Joker... How Joker was he? All right, let's end with the scientific study here of what is this Joker performance on a scale of one to Joker, and then we'll give the film a grade overall. I, I say a six, and this is not the Joker from the comics. It's more of a character study of a serial killer. He does become romanticized and glorified by other characters in this movie. To tell that amidst all the nightmares we're currently living, I think you need to get it exactly right. Yeah. I, I would say, like, if I made a movie like this in this climate, I would want to get it exactly right. And I don't think they go to the lengths to get it exactly right on purpose because of the nature of the pro- property. Because they want to indulge in people's fascination over evil. And again, I bring up that Gandalf quote, and it just bothers the hell out of me. So do I have an ethical objection against this film? Yes, I do. Does that sway my grades here? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Human nature just does. Am I wrong to have an ethical objection to this film? I don't know. Am I, am I, should I just watch it and just say... But no, I do think structurally the movie doesn't work in many ways. We've outlined those ad nauseum. This character is not the Joker from all of the comics, all the things that we've studied. And I would be surprised if they took this character into a sequel and then all of a sudden... I mean, obviously he's starting to find his shtick. He's starting to find his footing in the finale. Would not make sense to bring Heath Ledger's Joker out of this character 20 years later, 15 years later, 10 years later after an escape. No, I don't think it's part of that universe, certainly. I think there is groundwork laid for a sequel from this. I mean, obviously, he's laughing at the end, thinking that he's the loner whose society has abandoned, and now he has this whole big cult following, and his, he's laughing, thinking about the joke, and it flashes back to Bruce how he is now going to be the loner whose society abandons, and it's the other side of the coin. Instead of going to the Joker, right. he obviously is going to become Batman. Right. So there, there's plenty of work here for a sequel if they wanted to do that slight hope slight <laughs> hope with that one shot that was shoehorned in like we talked right about. and and probably not impactful enough i think one to joker depends on your definition of what is the joker if he's just an agent of chaos and, and a being of evil then it's tough to say that this isn't perfect i happen to not think that's what joker is i happen to think he's always someone that has an underlying comedy uh to himself and objective comedy not just subjective comedy which is how Joaquin chose to view his life and kind of his out for feeling any kind of remorse for his actions. It was more of a, I view my life as a comedy, as a justification for all that he was doing. I think Joker is more objectively funny. And and like we talked yeah, about, this Heath, is not Ledger, funny. Heath Ledger in Dark Knight does do, does things that are objectively funny, even if they're oh, off all color. The time. Uh, I don't think that's present here. So I'll, I'll go right in the middle of the range. I'll say five. I, I, I don't think this is the best. It's certainly memorable. Oh, yeah. Uh, and if this was called, you know, Arthur, instead of Joker, I wonder how we'd be reviewing it as well. I also wonder, before we give final grades for the movie, I wonder how I'm going to feel about this review in 10 years. Because when Psycho came out, any kind of hallmark that's a little ahead of its time, I feel like being conservative of it always paints you in the bad light when it comes to movies especially. Do you think this is going to be one of those movies? I don't know. I would think no, 
But I don't know. This is the badass movie of the right. year that in 10 years from now, it was ahead of its time and we're watching it in college dorm rooms. And I, I just can't help but think about that. I, again, I don't get the feeling from it, but as much as I'd like to think otherwise, I'm not God, so I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think it will be. I'd be surprised. I, I feel the same. I, I think same. it would be fucked up if that does happen. I because hope it doesn't. Yeah. I think this movie <laughs> fails on many levels. American Psycho is much more moral than this movie, in my opinion. And it succeeds at that yeah, morality. I would agree. Much more, in my opinion. It's at least more well-rounded. Seven. It, it, it inspires some semblance of hope. Seven, Silence of the Lambs, yeah. you know, you're a t- a Taxi Driver. And Bonnie and Clyde is a, is a movie that I don't like, and I would say that they lie to get their morality that they get to. And this character is All just, those movies have morality in them. Right, and this character is so absent of morality. He has no moral compass whatsoever. It's not pointed... Usually... Any character, any anti-hero, any villain is pointed towards some objective truth at some point. You know, you killed my father, or at least the protagonist of the film, I should say, is pointed towards an objective truth most times. And whether he denies it or not, yeah, I, mean, right. I get it. So, uh, and I also think it's important to note, this is clearly a character who knew he was mentally ill. And so I don't, any kind of review, which I've seen a couple, that like he didn't know what he was doing, or he was, he was fully within his capabilities. He says at the end, before he pulls the trigger on Robert De Niro's character... This yeah. is what happens when you have a mentally ill person whose society has abandoned. I didn't like that either. Like, all of a sudden he gets this, you know, lucidity and this moment of right. clarity to preach the message. I think it makes it more despicable. Well, yeah, it, it makes the... It's just unrealistic for that character, in my opinion. Probably. Probably. You're probably right. Yeah. I, 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 that, he, that he would come up with the same voice that other Jokers came up mm-hmm. with and be able to preach on the soapbox, the evil soapbox. That didn't make sense to me. I mean, he just spent the whole movie trying to figure all that shit out to where he could articulate it that clearly. I I don't like that either. 2019 is a wild film year, man. I got C movies that we've reviewed that I think have to be winning Oscars and in the conversation, such as Ad Astra. And I have this movie, which I give a solid B to, squarely a B, an 85B, was a B plus. I backed it down a little to a hard B that I think I can't see, I, I really don't want to award the performance for. I've been all over the map on this. The performance is probably the only thing raising my grade. Now, I told her, it probably sounds like I'm going to give it a lower grade than this, but I'm going to give it a B minus yeah. at the end of the day. The three-point like curve is switched. 82. I really have some issues with the movie structurally. It pisses me off. And maybe but in different thing, ways. But in that, different ways. Right. Because like it could have been great. And it's supposed to piss you off, but it doesn't piss you no, off it, in it, that way that it thinks it does. They could have nailed it. Yeah. They could have yeah. nailed it. They didn't nail it. Mm-hmm. And it that pisses me off so much. Yeah. Now, are, are we hypocritical because we give worse movies better grades? I don't know. I don't know. I, I just think this movie could have been... It had greatness in its grasp because there's some great scenes in it and there's a great performance in it. And it, it doesn't get there. This is one of those reviews that I know, like, in two weeks, I'm going to have something that makes so much sense to me and I'm able to, like, define it clearly. And it won't matter because nobody's going to be talking about this anymore. We're going to be moved on to the next movie. We do have an award show next week. <laughs> and we do have MMOW and Oscar Ace Checkpoint to continually weigh in on this. We'll have category reviews. We're going to have to do a snubbable or unsnubbable for Joaquin Phoenix at some point. Isn't that what this whole episode was? Kind of. But we could do it again if it's a bajillion dollar property. Uh, We clearly, as always, guys, we want to know your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about this movie, about the performance, about the upcoming Oscar implications, and all that and goody, as well as commenting on anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You could reach out to us and leave us those at Mike 
Mike and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere. You do hear podcasts, including and especially Apple podcasts. And if you have an iPhone, use Apple podcasts or iTunes. If you wouldn't mind taking 30 seconds out of your day, tapping the podcast link or podcast app, I should say that's that little purple box with the I don't even have a joke. I usually have a joke. I'm just like so depressed right now about this movie. So it's the podcast, Purple Podcast app. Tap on that. Tap search. Type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar and submit. You'll see our cartoon Halloween costume faces waving back at you. Tap on that one. Scroll down. You can leave us a five-star review. And we thank you for all of you who have and will yes, do that you. as well. Michael, what are some words of wisdom? And what are we doing next here on MMO? Words of wisdom. Gandalf quote. I'll just say that. What are we doing next? I kind of mentioned a bunch of that already as well. We've been going forever on this spot. So I'll just say Parasite's coming out. Dolomite is my name's coming out soon. We'll have the Irishman, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Knives Out all in November. We got a- Knives Out kills an old guy and it's charming as shit and fun. (laughs) Yeah. Other movies do commit (laughs) sins, but they kind of hold themselves accountable in many more ways. And 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 or at the, least the characters. But the do, execution or, yeah. is there. The mm-hmm. execution is there, and it, the, the formulas are tried and true there to give Joker a little more credit. You know, you don't have many movies trying to go without any good person in them ever. For the two right. minute, two hour runtime, right. there's no goodness in this movie. To try to pull that off is ambitious. I don't think they pull it off. Yeah. Well, guys, when reality sucks. Or the movie's reality, I guess, sucks. Yeah. You can come watch this movie and others with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you next time. See ya. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs>